hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. This week's episode features civil engineer Sophia Zumat, and it's a really fun episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Everyone have a great week, and stay safe, and stay the fuck home. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you, Bianca? I am doing well. Uh, to my listeners, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome, and the lovely voice you are hearing on the other end is Sophia Zumat. So, Sophia... Would you like to give your elevator pitch, your 30,000 foot overview of who you are, what you do, et cetera? I'll try my best. So I'm a civil engineer currently working on leveling up my data skills. I have international experience in the oil and gas industry as well as the civil environmental fields. Uh, I'm a, Mentoring and leading is part of who I am. So I'm currently the president of an MBA network through Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I'm wrapping up my graduate studies, and COVID has been kind of the perfect excuse for me to further my education. I'm working on an MBA with a concentration in data analytics because I'm in need of a more flexible position at the moment, and I think data science kind of will give me the opportunity to pursue that. I love civil engineering and uh, would like to incorporate that into the field. I love that. And I think it's just always such a fresh take when I speak with women who are interested in STEM and STEM careers. I wish I could go back in time and, and have actually like done that because I think that there's just so much more to provide the world. And it sounds like you're going to be doing amazing and great things. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak on my podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you and I matched or not, it's like, that does not, it's not a dating app, but it's called matchmaker.fm, um, which is a podcast to guest service relations for free. Um, and I believe I reached out to you, but you just really, your profile really spoke to me and I thought, wow, this is to someone that has a lot to say. And so I'm, I was like, I wonder if she's ever felt this feeling of imposter syndrome. So thank you so much. Yeah, uh, it was kind of putting myself out there as the president of this MBA network. Someone mentioned that we should have a podcast. So I found the match.fm website and decided to learn more about the platform and see if it was something that we would be doing, which I'm not sure that it is, but I've met some really cool people through it. So I'm excited to meet you now as well. Yeah, awesome. And I and I agree. It's been really interesting because I've I've talked to people all over the world, all through this free platform. And I actually found out about it through Reddit on the R podcasts. And um, just, I've really enjoyed the conversations I've been able to have because at first when I started my podcast, it was asking my, it was not just asking my friends, it was begging my friends, like, please. And then it was like pulling teeth to like get them to commit to dates to record with me. And so it feels almost like a place of privilege now to just have this kind of well-oiled machine. And yeah, I'm certainly still learning as I go, but it's been very, very humbling to kind of learn and tweak and and meet and, you know, all these things. And now I'm, I'm at a point where I'm having guests kind of roll in and I'm able to field them and that makes me feel really good about it. So you are one such of those. Yeah, well, I mean, I listened to several of your episodes <laughs> and it's great. And I think it's uh, phenomenal for, you have mostly women, I think, or the ones that I listen to have been women. <laughs> but I mean, imposter syndrome plagues everyone. And I think women are just maybe more yeah. uh, comfortable talking about it. Yeah, so it, that's an interesting point. Um, so yeah, originally when I started, I thought that it, imposter syndrome was more of a female-oriented feeling. And as I've gone on, and, and I, I like, I never thought in a million years I'd be interviewing a straight man, <laughs> and a straight, a straight man. And, and honestly, because I've had friends where I reached out to my friend Dion, he's a bartender, and I was like, hey, like I'm, I'm, I have this podcast. Like, would you like to be on it? Like, you know, you worked in the bar industry. Like, have you ever felt this feeling? And he was like, no. 
So it, it made me wonder if it was more of a, um, you know, a queer or um, gender thing. And now I'm realizing it's completely human and the words imposter and syndrome are just so heavy that I think like that's what deters people. So it's been nice to have people listen to my podcast and go, oh, okay, that's, that's the feeling I've been feeling all my life. Absolutely. And it's, it's definitely a feeling that I've felt uh, throughout my whole life, but I guess most of us do what we can to either hide it or overcome it. And uh, I think talking about it is, is important for people to understand that, you know, not everyone feels like it, they have it figured out all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that is actually the first question. Um, resoundingly, you know, people don't really feel like they've got it figured out, but uh, do you feel like you've got it all figured out? Absolutely not. <laughs> so um, my dad is like semi-retired and I'm, I'll tell him, dad, I don't, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And he says, neither do I. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think that we're just, everyone is figuring it out as they go along. And I mean, when I finished high school, I, I applied to be an engineer because there were engineers in my family. And I thought, okay, women in STEM is a, there's a big push for that. So it'll be easier for me to get into school if I apply mm -hmm. as an engineer. I didn't even think I was going to get into college when I applied for college because I just had so much self-doubt and I did. And I thought, okay, well, now that I'm in, I'm switching to business. Like I'm going to be a business major. And luckily I had some really incredible professors that kind of took me under their wing and um, encouraged me and I stuck with it and I loved it. But I still walk into meetings and I still uh, meet professionals in the industry and, you know, have, have doubts about my expertise, even though I'm, I'm quite knowledgeable in the fields that I've worked in, uh, because you have to be when you're in consulting, people will ask you questions and you're kind of expected to know answers. So I've worked uh, in well construction as a cement engineer, and I've worked on flood control control structures, uh, doing periodic inspections for the Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah, it's so cool. And it's, um, it's you kind of answered like both of those, but also, I mean, we can super go into the topic at hand, of course, which is imposter mm -hmm. syndrome. But um, I think it's been an interesting journey because like, uh, so for me, I, I felt the same way. I'm, no one's going to put me into their college. And then I got in and I was like, okay, uh, I guess I'll do this. And I was an art major and I just, I wasn't good at it. I mean, it, it, it wasn't that I wasn't creative. It's just, it just, it fueled this feeling of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not as creative as I thought. Like, why is everyone else getting this easily? And it's so hard for me. So I switched majors and I wanted to do, I was a radio DJ all through college and I wanted to do broadcast communications, but that was kind of a dying industry. So I switched to advertising and public relations. Did I have any interest in it? No. <laughs> But of course, that somehow became marketing, and my career has kind of been this crazy roller coaster, start and stop, and all of that. And I finally made it to the top of the top. I became a marketing director for a Fortune 500 branch of a uh, company, which is in the real estate title and escrow industry. It's not sexy at all. Worst company name, just terrible. The branding was this got awful. I don't know who chose that. But even so, I had, I finally reached the top. I finally hit the top. There was no more else to go. And I still didn't feel like I had it all figured out. I still didn't feel like life made sense because suddenly I had this thing. And it's been really interesting to kind of learn that it's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to not have it figured out um, because showing up is half the battle and half, most people, you, you probably know more than most people. That's kind of like where I've kind of found some peace with that feeling when that feeling of like, oh God, like I'm, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer or whatever? Um, I have to tell myself like, no, no, you got this, you know this. Yeah, and I think one of the things is like, let me get back to you is a perfectly adequate answer. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, you're not on the hot seat, like no one's trying to get you, no one's out to get you. And sometimes you feel like that or, or you know, sometimes you, your colleagues will put you on the spot or try and get information. And I don't know, you can, I, sometimes I feel defensive or like, whoa, gosh, if I don't know the answer, I'm gonna look like a total idiot. But I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's just trying to, to make it work and, and get by, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we'll just pop into the topic at hand. Um, so I'll just ask the question verbatim. Do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome in what ways? And what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri in a lower income area. So when I was accepted into an all girls private school, I was not comfortable, like just socioeconomically. I was on financial aid. I started working my first job when I was 14 years old at a pizza shop. And I just, I just didn't fit in or I didn't feel like I fit in. So I kind of threw myself into everything that I could. I joined the debate team to kind of build up my self-confidence. I ended up running for class president and lost to a, a really wonderful uh, girl that I went to school with. Um, but I, I just forced myself to do things to try to fit in. And I won't say that I have a chip on my shoulder, but I just have always felt that I'm coming from a very different background than most people. So I had to kind of carve out space for myself. So, I mean, imposter syndrome to me is just feeling like I don't, I don't belong here, uh, but overcoming it is more, how can I force myself to belong here um, or bring value to the situation that I'm in? For example, I started an MBA program with Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and through the COVID-19 pandemic, it's just been a real struggle to have engagement with my classmates, alumni, the things that you're supposed to be getting out of an MBA, it's just very difficult because, you know, everyone's dealing with their own struggles, you know, sending, figuring out how to send their kids to school in the upcoming year and whatever else the, the pandemic is throwing at people's lives. So I started an organization called the MBA Network at Texas A&M Corpus Christi and it's been super successful. I put together like a guidance document. There's been over a thousand clicks on it. And it's just, I, I didn't feel that I was supposed to be there or that I was um, competent in business because my background is engineering, but by throwing myself into it and figuring out like, okay, how can I not only excel in the academic portion of this program, but how can I, um, how can I engage with my classmates and do the networking that's kind of expected that you're supposed to be getting out of an MBA program? So, um, you know, I'm doing what I can to, to make it work and, and overcome that feeling of, oof, I don't know if, if this is where I belong. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, similar to you, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I like that there wasn't something, so you created it. And that is what I like hearing among the pandemic is that people are being creative, they're thinking, they're trying to find a way to find more authentic human connection. And I think it's wonderful that it took off and it's successful because I, it's probably helping so many people and that has to feel good to feel like, okay, I'm finally like, I've, I've, I'm onto something, this, this is, was helpful. Um, which is why like every day, I wake up and I'm grateful because I'm working on this podcast and I know it's helping people. And I always say, if this podcast helps one person, then I've done my job. Um, and I know it is. And there's sometimes where I lose sight of it, where I'm like, Oh God, like what if someone hears that my S's are too sharp in the microphone for some reason, because anchor.fm makes really sharp S's. Um, or, or, you know, what if I say the wrong thing and then they like Google me and, or then they, you know, rate my podcast a one or something. And, and, and I've gotten better at kind of telling those shoulder devils, Hey, like it's, it's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. And, and my worst fear in my marketing career was that I would be found out to be a fraud and that they would kick me out. That's why this is called, please don't kick me out. But every day I would go into work being like, is today the day they're going to let me go? Is it today? Are they going to figure out that the 10 years of experience I have that I've earned um, is not enough? Like, so I can definitely yeah. relate to that in a lot of ways. And there are always going to be trolls. Like, you know, now you mentioned that it was like pulling teeth to get people on a podcast. I'm sure it's not only scheduling, but, you know, once you put yourself out there on the internet, you're subject to all of like all of yeah. the trolls. Like you mentioned being on Reddit. I 
scroll through Reddit all the time. Like I'm definitely a lurker, but I can't comment because I see how toxic it can be. Um, and you know, even people at work, I remember once in probably the first few years of my career, I worked a job that expected very, very long hours. And I, I don't even, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but I had spoken with my direct boss about having, I don't know if it was a doctor's appointment or I don't even, I mean, I might've been going to Dubai for a party. I don't know. Um, because I was working in, in Abu Dhabi at the time and I had spoken to my boss and he was like, yeah, no problem. So I was leaving at 4.30 PM. And as I got up to pick up my computer and leave, uh, someone who I worked with said, oh, very loudly, oh, half day today, Sophia. And it's like, what a dick. Like, like you can't, I mean, there's nothing you can do about the assholes in the world, but, um, you know, we can try and focus on the positive, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know what, though? I, I do not agree that hours should be nine to five and we should, like, like if you're done with your crap, like, go home. Like, I mean, honestly, and I think like that pandemic is really going to change the way the office is. But I, I remember that feeling of like, oh, if I like don't leave, if I leave before my boss leaves, then I, I'm, he's not, he's going to think I'm not doing my job or whatever. And, and, and it's, it's just this toxicity and this culture of working long hours and uh, any, any company that prides themselves on no work-life balance is a company that I don't want to be at. And you've said some really amazing things in this, um, this questionnaire that I'm reading um, uh, about just like people or millennials or our age, people in our age group who um, won't stand for that kind of bullshit and they'll take all their vacation days. And I, I, I definitely think I, entering back into the workforce is going, I'm going to be a lot more selfish because last year I created a huge divide between I, my work, my work and my life balance is important. And I kept those barriers up and I made sure that my boss knew that my husband was my number one priority because he's deploying and, and, and my time with him is precious. And when I leave the office, there is, you're not getting a hold of me if it's not done within the hours. And so I was a lot more selfish than I normally would be. And it, I set those ground rules right up front and it was actually a lot more helpful. Absolutely. And I think nowadays there is quite a bit more flexibility uh, and there's certain jobs that just um, require additional hours. For example, I worked in oil and gas and if there was a job going on in well construction, they in cementing it would usually last a couple of days um, straight. So when I was, uh, managing those jobs or, or working from the office, I would get calls at two in the morning saying, oh, we had a change of plans. I need you to update um, the the design, the job design, because, you know, ABCD has changed. And I mean, we live in a world where where it's inevitable that there, there are going to be jobs that require odd hours, but I, I'm in the same boat. Like as I, as I grow and as I am you know in transition once again i am interviewing my potential employer just as much as they're interviewing me i don't mind working odd hours but i need to know that there's going to be some flexibility and respect for my life and if i need time off i need time off and my number one priority um like you said well my number one priority is myself because if i can't take care of myself then i can't take care of anyone else or anything else so my number one priority is myself and my number two priority is my family. And, you know, if work is next, work is next. Um, but right now it's, it's not, <laughs> it's kind of nice being um, in transition and figuring out what I'm doing next because I don't, I don't know yet. Am I going to start my own thing? Am I going to continue my education? Am I going to find a job? And I'm kind of looking into all avenues, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, nice. Um, the best question to ask in an interview, and I always tell people this, is what is your what does your holiday party look like? Because I used to work at a, a startup company, a startup marketing firm, that the uh, holiday party was everyone brought a potluck dish, and you got to uh, bill thirty minutes to fruition time, which was the name of the agency, and you had to eat at your desk, and you got one drink ticket. And that was the holiday party. There was no bonuses. There was nothing. And I will tell you that like, that was the most office space as company. And I just, for me now, that's a question I ask on every interview. And the reason why I ask that is because it shows corporate culture and it shows kind of like, Oh, like this, 
people really care about their employers. Um, so that's my pro tip. Ask that question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've worked at two employers with two very different holiday parties, but it's, I mean, it's, I hadn't thought about comparing the experiences and, and the employers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for what's next for you. I think it'll be really awesome. So in terms of imposter syndrome, it tends to also, you know, rear its ugly head into the feeling of success and what looks like success to me might look different to you. So what does success look like to you? And do you feel successful? So I think success is a lot like happiness in that it's like, it's not a real thing. Like you, you'll have moments of success or, or moments of happiness, but I don't think they're permanent or I don't think they, they last. I'm just like, I don't know, just like adulting or happiness. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, you can buy a house or buy a car or do something that's super adult or you feel successful while you're doing it. But 10 minutes later, you get a flat tire and you're like, oh shit, what the heck do I do? Like, I don't know. I don't have AAA. Like, I'm on the phone with my dad the next minute asking like, does insurance cover this? Do I need to just call someone to change my tire? I don't know. So it's, I mean, it's, it's moments to me. Success is moments. And uh, I guess if I had to define it for myself, it would be having more happy moments than, than sad or, or scared ones. And Ideally, I'd like to be, you know, getting paid to do something that I enjoy while feeling like I'm making a positive impact on my community or um, the world as a whole. Uh, and that might look different at, at different stages of my life. You know, right now it might be um, studying and doing some volunteer work on the side. You know, in 10 years, it might be uh, having a part-time job while I raise a kid or you know, I don't know. It's just going to change as I, as I age. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think success, it, it just, it, people define it differently. Like, like if, you know, some people define it in material, but for me, I don't, I, I define it in terms of, um, am I, am I just generally grateful? Am I doing things that are helping and impacting my community? And there's this idea that, you know, if you're unemployed, you're not very busy, right? So, but then again, all, I mean, I sit on a board of directors. I volunteer for, for that. I'm working on my city's improvement council. I do this podcast. I make hair bows for some reason, like I'm crafting again, but I, I do all of these things and I've never felt more happy in terms of like, just at peace with myself. Like I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting anything. And, you know, on paper, my husband and I are super successful. Um, you know, we own a house and we have those, you know, we have, you know, puppy or whatever, and, and we have things that would be seen as on paper, very successful. But overall, I think personal success comes with just being who you are and being content with that. And so I right now feel definitely really successful, or at least on the brink of, of a new chapter. That's super exciting. And I understand people that define success as those, you know, monetary achievements. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, as I mentioned before, coming from a really poor <laughs> family or, or a poor upbringing where, you know, I had to get a job to, to pay for the tuition that my mom couldn't afford because she was already working two jobs and, um, you know, just trying to make ends meet as, uh, as a, small family or she was a single mother in, in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I'm just, I, I had that mentality for a long time. Like, I don't want to be poor again, but I have finally come to terms with the fact that, okay, I am now at a point where I will never be back to where I was. I mean, maybe I will, who knows, you know, like crazy things, crazier things have happened, but um, I know I'll survive that. And I'm not really concerned about financially being back in a position where, you know, I, I need to work an extra job or, or do something for some extra money um, that I wouldn't normally do. I mean, I, I don't know, for me, like no job is beneath me, but I also know that I'm well educated and I've worked really hard yeah. to get where I am. And I, I'm not, I'm not fearful of that anymore. Yeah. So I do understand that, that fear that people have or that mm -hmm. want for, for monetary success, but it, yeah. I just, 
I see the other side of it. And I, I went to, you know, a, a private girls school and I went to a very small, um, Jesuit university with uber rich people. Um, like George Lucas's son lived in my building and (laughs) I've seen the other side of that. And, and it, it's not, it's not like roses, you know, like everyone has their own problems. There were, there were girls in my building that were in rehab their freshman year of college um, while they were trying to <laughs> go through school. And it, I mean, financial success is not um, the be all end all. Like you can have a lot of money and still have a shit life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never wanted for anything as a child. My, my, my parents, you know, paid for everything in college and you know I'm, I'm I'm super super fucking appreciative of that you know like I, I I very much you know they gave me a very beautiful gift um and I appreciate that and they were able to do that but even so I never let that being able to have the things and being able to live within abundance I never let that go to my head because I saw my friends around me not having those same privileges And it bugged me, like it really bugged me that I couldn't help them, you know? So, so for me, I've, I've tried to always look at the underdog, look at the underserved and look at the socioeconomic of of situations. But then also, um, I, I just, in general, like I have just, I, the feel, the, basically what you were saying, like about no job would be beneath you. There is also a level right now of underemployment and I'm a spouse, I'm a military spouse. So I'm also kind of in this, uh, different category as well, where I'm seen as not permanent in the workforce and I'm seen as, um, you know, expendable in some, in some cases. And for me, the only jobs that continually continue to be brought to me will actually invalidate my unemployment and they don't pay me as much as my unemployment. And that's, Right now, this is something that's happening in America that's not good. Um, And it sucks because underemployment is just as bad as unemployment. Mm -hmm. And again, no job is beneath me. I just, I'm in a special circumstance where I'm moving to Hawaii soon and I don't want to go back into an office because of COVID and my husband's deploying. So I'm taking this time for me. And, And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you know, that's, that's, I'm able to do that. And a lot of people won't be, might not be able to do that, but that's, just what or where I'm at right now. But I agree. If it came to push come to shove, I would take any job. I really, truly would. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the great things about, um, I don't know. And I, I hate to say this, but you can, like, we have the capability of doing that, you know, cost benefit analysis. Like, okay, this is my unemployment check. This is how much I would be making. I can make ends meet right now. I don't have to do this other job. And, you know, I I guess for some people, they're not quite in the same situation. And uh, I mean, it's, it's just garbage for some people right now. And I think we are very lucky that that we're in such a good place. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a place and it's a place of privilege. And I, and I know that, and I'm, and I, and I've tried very hard to like be in check with my privilege and, and the things I have and what others do not have. But I also see the other side. I mean, like with every single UI check that I get, half of it's going to donations Mm -hmm. or helping others or small businesses. I won't, I just, that's where it needs to go. In my opinion, I don't need it. Why others do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, right now I, I'm not making as much money as I used to. So I'm not donating as much money as Mm -hmm. I used to, but, um, you know, I'm still trying to be intentional with where I spend my money and how I spend my money. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we just have to do what we can to, to support, you know, whoever we can in these yeah. times. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, don't even say in these trying times, I will <laughs> I you out my show. <laughs> so I feel like we've really um, addressed the elephant in the room, which is of course imposter syndrome. So we can say, sashay away, like we're good there. Um, but I love to ask this question because I feel like it really, and like it, this portion of the show where I ask about things that people are fanatical about and unpopular opinions, it really gets to the heart of what drives people. And so, um, yeah, what is one or a few things you're fanatical about and why? Um, so one thing that I'm really fanatical about is normalizing therapy. My parents had a very contentious divorce and my mom put me in therapy as a child because they did not have a civil relationship. It probably, it probably didn't help that I was like, um, 
hormonal teenager, <laughs> like really difficult, I guess, as a, as a teenage girl. But um, I started dealing with uh, some anxiety problems that totally caught me off guard in my late 20s. And I was so thankful that I had been in therapy as a, as a young girl because I wasn't afraid to go back to therapy when uh, I started not being able to handle my own shit. And then as I started kind of telling people in my inner circle about it, I started realizing, wow, everyone, <laughs> everyone goes to therapy or everyone has their own kind of anxiety problems or panic attacks or whatever form of, of mental health or, or mental health challenges that they face. It's super common. And um, it's weird that it's not weird. It's totally normal, but um, people experience them at different ages. And I started experiencing panic attacks and anxiety attacks in my late twenties. And I'm just, I can't say enough good things about therapy because nobody wants to talk about their issues to their friends all the time, or, you know, be a downer or whatever. And that's what you pay a therapist for. And I'm very happy for super well-adjusted people who have never dealt with trauma or been depressed or had a panic attack or faced, you know, imposter syndrome or had insomnia. I don't know. Like there's so many things that you can talk to a therapist about, but I'm definitely not one of those people. Like I've, I've struggled with um, a few of those things in my life. And I don't think most people are those super happy, well-adjusted you know, perfect Stepford people. I don't, I don't think that exists. Um, and I, I just can't say enough good things about therapy and, and, um, and that. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Can you pause? <laughs> I don't know. My dog's food just started coming out of the I, I love that you're fanatical about therapy. I do agree that it needs to be normalized. Um, I myself am in therapy. Shout out to Justina. She's amazing. But I started therapy as a kid. I was a hormonal teenager. Um, I was depressed and, I, and my parents didn't know what to do. So they took me to therapy and I had to have therapy sessions with my parents. Well, when you're, you know, like I've always I've said this repeatedly, I, mean, I don't really talk about my family, but my parents didn't love me in the way that I needed. Monetarily, yes, I never wanted for anything. However, um, there was there was a very sad, lonely little girl um, that just didn't feel loved. And so um, I'm, I'm in therapy now. It's a moving target. I started therapy uh, maybe two months ago now, maybe two or three months ago now. And it's a moving target. What I started with is... Is different than what I'm working on now and and I feel a lot better I feel a lot more at peace with a lot of things but I agree with you that therapy absolutely should be normalized it's not a bad thing and it's weird because I talked to my mother-in-law and she's telling me she's going to a counselor and it's like why are you using that word not therapist like just it's it, our parents generation they are in a in, it, in this mindset that therapy is bad because it was so mentally stigmatized. And you don't have to have mental problems to be in therapy. You really don't. And I agree, if, if you're well-adjusted, then you're lying, probably, more than likely. But if you didn't experience trauma or have some family situation where it's just fucked up and you can't do anything about your blood-related family, then great. But I have had trauma and I have had to deal with a lot of things and truths and realities. And the, the biggest thing with therapy is if you don't feel like you're connected to the first therapist that you meet, that's okay. Go to another one. The, 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 the only way therapy works is if you and your therapist connect. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know that we are speaking from a, a place of privilege, being able to at least have health insurance or something that covers some of those costs, but um, I mean, for people who, who don't have that, there are like some free resources or um, like hotlines. I think it's becoming more normalized in the United States, which is amazing. Um, but I think there's still work that can be done to destigmatize it and make it available to yeah. everyone. And like right now, more than ever with, with all of this, you know, people being laid off and unemployment skyrocketing and all of these horrible things that are going on, um, we kind of need to look out for the mental health of, of people who um, aren't able to get by right yeah. now because it's a harsh reality of what we're facing. Yeah, absolutely. And I also will say too that there are apps that you can use um, that will have a sliding scale of payment. So if you're um, lower income or you're not being able to meet 
make things, you know, ends meet right now or don't have um, insurance, there's things like Talkspace um, and uh, there's the other one, I don't remember the name of it, but th those are options too. Um, but yes, I think like there's always the hotlines and all of that. And, um, you know, I, I feel blessed to be, to have TRICARE, but TRICARE also makes it extremely difficult to figure out what, um, what is covered and what's not covered. And so I've just kind of been going to therapy for like, I don't know how long. And I finally got like a, this is not a bill, but it might be a bill from TRICARE. So, uh, and even so it was still not very expensive. So it's, it's really, I just, I think if you have the option go and also don't be dissuaded to reach out to therapists because some of them do pro bono or even sliding scale. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great advice. And you know, if, if anyone, takes it then I think this podcast is so like the best we're so worthwhile <laughs> thank you yeah so um unpopular opinions you know everyone has them as long as they don't hurt me or other people they are fine by me aka <laughs> not racist um but uh yeah what are some of uh a few of popular opinions you have and why um yeah so I guess there's this like mentality that the United States has the best education in the world. I don't know, maybe it used to be like that. Maybe it's kind of falling out of favor, people are realizing, but um, like unpopular opinion, we might have some of the greatest um, like university programs in the world, like MIT, and, and we have some really top rank school, Harvard, et cetera. Um, but good Lord, I think our, our K through 12 education is struggling a lot. Um, mm -hmm. My husband is Mexican and he was telling me about all of the coding classes that he took in, in high school and, and prior to high school. And I was in shock. I was like, you're kidding me. Like you, you learned how to code. He learned like C sharp and like these ridiculous things at a public school in the middle of nowhere, super dangerous area in Mexico. And I'm like, I grew up in a medium sized city and went to the top girls school in the city. Um, like, you know, I might've learned Microsoft Word and a little bit of Excel and PowerPoint. Like it was, it's embarrassing. Um, and I think that we can do better. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, a, I think, unpopular opinion. And I, I wanna say that, you know, we have a great education system in this country and, um, you know, the United States does crank out some pretty amazing academics and incredible people, but, you know, we're struggling with the, the K through 12, I think. Yeah, I think of uh, America like just socks and sandals personified, um, <laughs> like cargo shorts as a person. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, it's just, I agree with you that I think like it's amazing there's so many opportunities for people to come here and get a higher education. Um, however, to get that higher education, I don't know why school systems just guinea pig their students. And then they're like, well, fingers crossed, there's no damage. Like, you know, so I, I felt wildly unprepared for college and wildly unprepared for the real world after college. And um, I, I remember being in high school and they got rid of the cooking class. There was a cooking class where you learn some like how to cook and they got rid of it. And it's like, don't we need these skills? <laughs> like, or they got rid of home ec. So, you, so I, I never learned how to sew. And these things I would have learned had they still been classes, I would have taken them, you know? So I think it's ridiculous how we play with our children's education by taking things away or trying this new math system. I remember when I was in fifth grade, um, I moved from Minnesota where I was learning like long division and fractions and, you know, normal, normal kid math. And I moved to Colorado and it was this IMP math where it was like, Johnny has seven donuts, Susie has a bagel, what's the square root of blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this, is, this doesn't make sense. And to the point where my mathematician dad, my dad's an engineer, uh, electrical, and he was even like taking this into the school and being like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this? Like, this is awful. Like, I can't even teach my kid. And I would have meltdowns over it because I just didn't understand it. And my parents made me go to Sylvan Learning Center. I don't even know if that still exists. 
Um, but I had to go all through summer to get up to speed because I was so far behind in math because of where I'd come from. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. My dad's also an electrical engineer, funny enough. Um, but yeah, now I see like signs for Kumon and I don't know. I remember spending nights on the phone with my dad, um, because he is in California and I grew up in Kansas city and he would try and like walk me through math problems, uh, and, and teach me, but I'm so thankful that I had a little bit of extra guidance in, in math because I just, I don't know that, that, the way that schools, like you said, were guinea pigs, they play around with things. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think my, my high school, like core curriculum, you know, math, science, social studies, um, biology, English, whatever, that was all fine. But, um, you know, th yeah, like you said, home ec or um, whatever kind of specializations, learning how to use a computer, um, learning typing skills, like th those are impossible to not have or you need them to get around in the world right now and I didn't learn those in in high school or grade school yeah yeah and there's also a disservice too um in in, in that I feel like uh, children from the 90s had or at least in particular girls I I don't remember the year on this but I have mentioned it before on this podcast but um because I I Actually, it was in all my textbooks um, in college uh, in regarding branding and Mattel and Barbie. And there was a Barbie in the 90s and she, she'd said a number of phrases and she was a scientist or a mathematician or something. And she said, if you pressed her back, she would say, math is hard. <gasps> no. And little girls would take that and go, math is hard. And, they, and it, so it actually dissuaded children from choosing STEM. Well, I mean, girls specifically, right? Girls specifically, yes. And that is something that I think about where I'm like, man, like I was never encouraged to do STEM. I liked web design, but there wasn't an abundance of opportunities to learn more because I got through all of those classes and I was better than those classes were. And then, and then, you know, it wasn't really a skill I could learn without learning, you know, more math or whatever. So I kind of, the things I was interested in got quickly stunted by my inability to solve equations. And, and my dad, bless him, he tried so hard. He tried just like yours, tried so hard to like walk me through all of this stuff. And because of that, I chose art because I was like, this is hard. I can't do it because I just, I, I one, I had undiagnosed adult ADHD and well, I had ADHD. I was told I was disruptive and I needed medication. Um, and over and over, my parents just ignored it, um, which is fine because at the time they didn't, there wasn't research on what that could do to your brain. Um, and I'm now actually uh, on a low dose of Adderall XR, and my life has changed completely. It's like actually, I wish that had happened like a long time ago. But math was just so incredibly hard for me, and I just. I, like I, my I, my brain worked algebraically, but it didn't like geometry. Good God, I I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's everyone's different, right? Like I I couldn't do the creative things that I I'm sure you're able to do on a day to day basis. I I find I struggle with them sometimes, um, like with creative tasks. But you know, give me some numbers and I'll I'll you know crank them out. I'll I'll do the math. Um, I'm, I actually have to take the GRE again because I'm applying to some academic programs and just revisiting some of the math that I learned in, in school. It's, it's, I'm loving it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, everyone, everyone has different skills or, or everyone is um, more adept at different things. So I don't know. That's really heartbreaking to hear that, that, you know, Barbie <laughs> said such horrible things to like deter little girls from, from doing math. But um, I, like, I always remember I had a ton of Barbies growing up, but my mom would also buy me like a, uh, those little boys toolkits and, you know, building stuff or the big, uh, we couldn't afford Lego, but we got the like off brand Lego or whatever, so that I could build things. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I never felt that I was restricted on, on what I could and couldn't do. And I was also very lucky to have um, teachers guide me or, or help me or encourage me to do what I was good at. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms of other unpopular opinions, um, 
I know I don't, I, you're in San Diego, but uh, I, I can't imagine that all your listeners are Californians, but no. <laughs> very unpopular opinion. I have lived um, in three different countries and in many cities in the United States. And I don't think there's any place that comes close to California. Um, I've lived in the Middle East, in the United Arab Emirates. I lived there for about four years. I've lived in Mexico. I'm actually on an island in Mexico right now. I've lived in Kansas City. I've lived in Sacramento. I've lived in Los Angeles. I've lived in Orange County. Um, and just really nothing comes close to California. I think the cultural melting pot that's available in California, the weather is like none other in the world. And um, I mean, it's just unbelievably incredible and there's always something to do like I felt I mean I know I wasn't 21 when I was growing up in Kansas City and I hear that it's become incredibly cool to live there um and you know shout out to the Chiefs and the Royals they're like I guess decent sports teams now that I've moved away but uh but I just California is incredible and um I know that that's not something that everyone wants to hear but uh it's the most incredible place in the world <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Um, I do, I do love California. Um, uh, I have family in Northern California, um, in Napa and that's where my parents are from. And it's funny because my, like, as a kid, I was so mad. I was like, why the F did you move out of California? Like, why do I live in Minnesota? Like why, why, because my dad took a job at IBM. So he would, he worked in Rochester, Minnesota. That's where I was born. And then we, he took a job in uh, Colorado where it was like, quote unquote, the Silicon Valley of Colorado is Longmont, Colorado. My mom's always like, I hope you like retire and move out here. And I was like, I would rather shoot my head off with a sawed off shotgun than ever come back to Longmont, Colorado. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. And I, and I love Denver, but I outgrew Denver. Denver is always going to be, I mean, I have a tattoo of a skyline on my bicep. Denver is always going to be home. I love my friends from Denver. I love, I love Colorado, but God, I'm such a California person. It is, I, I'm so much happier here and that's why we bought a house and that's why we plan to come back and retire out here. There's more job opportunities for my husband. There's more job opportunities for me um, in general. And I have this like lifelong dream of like eventually working at Disneyland one day, maybe. Uh, because I think it's the best place on the planet. Um, and so I'm, I get to be doing all these things near all of these things. And so I agree with you 100% and I don't care to my listeners that don't live in California. You've probably been here. You probably liked it, but aside from all the things that make it expensive and currently somewhat of a Florida on the West coast, um, <laughs> we're still an amazing place to visit and we're still an amazing place to live. Absolutely. And like you said, it's expensive and that sucks. Like, you know, for what you make in California, you can live like a king almost anywhere else. But um, yeah, it's, it's the cost of living is, is super high and there's a reason for it. It's because it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so we're kind of winding down to the end of this conversation and I really appreciated our conversation and talk. And I think like um, your next chapter is going to be incredibly beautiful, but I always like to give my guests the floor to promote whatever they would like. Um, so do you have something you would like to like to promote? Um, no, I mean, just myself and I guess women in STEM. I'm an engineer. I made it work and I'm not going to tell you that it's easy and being a woman in STEM is the greatest thing in the world because it has its challenges like every career path. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding and I think it's, it's a, a great industry that needs more women. Um, and not just because women are awesome, but because you know diversity of, of backgrounds and, and thought is so important to every industry. And any industry that's predominantly one gender is, you know, it's, it's a very narrow-minded and, and again, diversity of thought is so important. So I'm a huge proponent of women in STEM and um, I have deleted social media completely from my phone, but my Instagram is Sophia Loves California. Um, I guess right in line with what I was saying before about <laughs> loving California. Um, so yeah, I mean, give me a follow and um, 
any young girl or, or young lady who is uh, pondering the idea of, of studying or making a career for themselves in science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, I highly encourage it. And I would love to promote that more and anywhere I can. So including this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sophia. I really appreciate it. I think that you're going to be doing amazing things in this world. Um, look for a follow-up email that I will, um, I actually want, thought of someone that I want to connect you with. So um, look for that. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to interview and, and, to, and speak to my listeners. I'm sure that a lot of this will, you know, be much appreciated. And to my listeners, if you like what you hear and you want to connect with Sophia, of course, all of the information will always be in the description of the podcast, um, which is Please Don't Kick Me Out, available wherever you get your pods, like, follow, share, tell a friend, scream it from the rooftops. Thank you so much again for all of your support. And thank you, Sophia, for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks so much, Bianca. Have a good one. You too. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. And this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter p-d-k-m-o at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.